Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. No place I'd rather be than in church on Sunday morning. So glad to see you. Uh, just want to welcome you. Welcome all those who are watching online. And uh, let's just stand and pray and before we uh, start our music this morning. Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be here today, God. We just want to lift you up. We want to praise you. God, we just want to give you thanks. Lord, I pray for Brother Darrell in a little while as he comes uh, to deliver your word to us. I pray as we sing these songs, Lord, that you would be honored, you would be glorified. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.
in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come again. When death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty
I've carried a burden for too long on my own, and I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. to the Lord's house. Good to see all of you. We'll take a break from Hebrews this morning as we will take communion together. And so we'll use a story out of Luke chapter 8 this morning. Luke chapter 8, 40 through 45. Uh, familiar story to a lot of you. Luke chapter 8, 40 
through 45. Good to see Haley back this morning. You have Rosemary with you, or is she in the, she's right there. So Rosemary, which is a.k.a. Rosie, is here this morning. Uh, Haley, do you want to stand up, or is it more trouble than it's worth? You, oh, whatever, whatever you want to do, there, there she is. I say she's little, she's not really talking about Rosemary now. Anyway, good to see you. Good, good to see both of you. All right, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 8, 40 through, 40, 40 through 55. One of my favorite stories, Jesus' stories in the Bible, and it's also the main characters are Jairus, uh, ruler of the synagogue, and, and a woman had an issue of blood, had a, had a, had a hemorrhage of blood. And it's uh, two people who are desperate to get to Jesus, each for a reason that's very different, two very different people and two very different things going on in their life. But that's what I want to concentrate on this morning is their desperation to get to Jesus. So we'll begin reading. There's an outline of this on the back side of your announcements. You like to use that. We'll begin reading verse 40. Uh, Matt, as we go along, just kind of do what I do. Some points along the way I'm going to stop. And so, anyway, the scriptures will be on the screen. If you're looking at your Bible, we'll start at verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Stop right there. We'll leave that verse on the screen. I want you to see, just in the few verses that we've looked at, there was a man, an Israelite, he was, he was the ruler of the synagogue, which means he was kind of in charge there. Uh, that wasn't his job, though. That was a position that he, hit, that he had. So he was in charge of the synagogue, and they didn't let just anybody do that. And so it was a very, I'm not, not pre prestigious isn't the right word, but it's an important job. And, uh, but he also has another job because he has a house. So we have an Israelite man who has a very important job in the synagogue. So in the community, he's well-respected, and he has a job because he's got a house and he's got a wife, and he, and he, and he has at least one child. And this, this child is dying, 12, 12 years old, dying. So that's just kind of who he is, okay? So there's a picture of a man in his desperation to get to Jesus because his daughter is dying and he's a well-to-do man. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. That's Jesus. So Jesus said, yes, I'm going to go to your house and, and uh, heal your child. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So as uh, this is a thought I want to plant in your mind. Jairus is desperate and that's just, what we're going to talk about over and over. Jairus is desperate. So as the multitudes thronged Jesus, it was slowing him down. Now we do know Jairus is desperate to get Jesus to his house because of the timing of it all. His daughter's going to die soon, and we know that because she did die soon, if you've read the story. So he's desperate because he knows that she doesn't have long to live, and the multitudes throng Jesus. They're all around him. They're they're in his way. He's hindering him. They're slowing him down. Jairus is watching all this desperate to get Jesus back to his household. So the multitudes thronged him. Go on to 43. Now, in addition to all that, a woman having a flow of blood, a hemorrhage of blood, King James says an issue of blood, for 12 years, the same amount of time, as Jairus' daughter is old. His daughter's 12 years old. This woman has an issue of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. As we go on in the story, Jesus, as he speaks to her and reassures her, as he heals her, he calls her daughter. 
which means she's an Israelite. But now this woman, her desperation is to get to Jesus to heal herself. Now she's had this issue of blood for 12 years. Um, let's go ahead and read, read 44, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. She could not be healed by any. She came up from behind and touched the border of his garment, the very the bottom hem. She came up behind, sneaking up behind on her knees and touched the very bottom hem, probably the tassel that hung from the bottom of his robe. Came up behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her blow, her flow of blood stopped. Now, her desperation was for the issue, the situation, her life. Um, she's unclean. She's an Israelite. So because of the because of the bleeding, she's unclean. And she's been this way for 12 years. Now, what we know from that is that if you're unclean, you have to separate yourself from the rest of the camp, from everyone else. She's had to live by herself for 12 years. Everywhere she goes, the reason she snuck up behind Jesus is because the, the Mosaic law says that everywhere you go, if you're, if you're unclean like that, you have to holler out, unclean, unclean, everywhere you go, so that people will the crowd, in a sense, will part. Nobody can touch you. You're unclean. You can't touch anybody, and no one can touch you. So you're not supposed to be sneaking around. And she's supposed to holler out, unclean, everywhere she goes, so no one will touch her. Well, she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to scare Jesus off. She's desperate, and so she sneaks up behind him, which is what she's not supposed to do in a crowd. But she's had this for 12 years. It's not six months. It's not one year. Where Jairus had an important job in the synagogue, in the church, he had a job. He had a, a good wage. He had a house. He had a wife. He had a child. She has nothing. Whatever she had, she spent on physicians, and they couldn't help her. And so she spent everything. She doesn't have a house. If she had a husband, she doesn't have one now. If she had children, she, in a sense, doesn't have them now. She can't live around anyone. She can't touch anyone, and no one can touch her. Her life is ruined. A lot of times the issue of blood, the hemorrhage of blood, will last a while. This lasted for 12 years. Her life is ruined. She can't do anything everybody else can do. So she's desperate. She's desperate by the fact we know she's sneaking up behind Jesus. It's like, this is my last chance. Now, she's had this for 12 years. I know she wants to be healed, but not quite the, uh, the urgency that, that Jairus has. Jairus really needs to get Jesus to his own home quickly for his daughter to be healed. This woman wants to be healed right now, I'm sure, but she's been going through this for 12 years. There's an urgency in Jairus that we don't really see in her. There is a desperation in her. But the desperation in Jairus, the desperation in her is desperation, but it's coming from different places. It's coming from different personalities. It's coming from different people. So, the story continues. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Kind of like, that's a ridiculous thing. That, I mean, there's people all around you. Every, there's a whole crowd who's touching you. 46, Jesus said, no, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. I'm not going to preach that, but I, I could preach that. Somebody, somebody in church this morning was serious about it. Others were there, but somebody touched Jesus. I better move on. Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, and the point here is what we don't really get, Jesus isn't giving this up. When Peter said, oh, everybody's talking, Jesus didn't say, oh, well, let's just move on. 
And Jairus is watching all this, and I wish he would just give this up and move on. I've got to get him to my house right now. And Jesus isn't giving this up. He said, no. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, Jesus, it's kind of almost like Jesus would say, I'm just going to stand here, and we're just going to wait here until whoever touched me comes, comes forward and, until I know. She uh, came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, here it is, daughter, be of good cheer. Now read closely what he tells her. Daughter, so she's an Israelite, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Now nobody's listening more intently than Jairus is because his daughter hasn't been healed yet. He's all in a rush to get Jesus to his house. But this woman does come forth, and she needs to be healed too. And nobody's paying more attention and more intently than Jairus is to this. How's this going to turn out? Can Jesus heal her? If Jesus can heal her, then maybe he can heal my daughter. And he's listening intently, he's watching intently, and he hears exactly what Jesus said. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, verse, verse, verse 49, while, he was, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered and saying, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Now, the timing of God here and God being in control of the whole thing, you get this right, that as they walk along the road and Jesus deals with the woman with the issue of blood and going through that and heals her. Jairus is watching the whole thing. A messenger comes from Jairus' house. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. The daughter had to have died before this scene ever took place. Jairus just doesn't know it yet. God knows it. Jesus knows it. Jairus doesn't know it yet. No, no one else knows it. But the daughter has died before this scene ever takes place. And God timed it where the messenger left the house, however fast he ran or walked, and the, as the messenger left Jairus' house, God timed it where that woman was healed and then the messenger came. Just exactly at the right time. Because Jairus has got to go on this uphill, downhill, uh, spiritual roller coaster, emotional roller coaster that he's on. He saw hope. He saw Jesus heal the woman. And then all of a sudden, all of his hope was dashed. And then Jesus says to him, don't be afraid. Only believe. And she will be made well. Exactly what he told the woman with the issue of blood. Jairus heard again Jesus say exactly what he's already said to someone else. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep, she's not dead. She's sleeping. She was dead as far as they knew. She's sleeping as, as far as Jesus is concerned because he's going to wake her up. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. This is interesting. Then her spirit returned. And she rose immediately and commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Desperation. Look on the screen. The first screen is your desperation. They come from all different types of us. Everyone in the room's got a different story. And there's a different reason why. This, this desperate need that we have to get to Jesus for, maybe it is for someone else. 
That's why I picked this story. So many different things going on in this story. Maybe your desperation is for someone else. Or maybe your desperation is for yourself somehow. But I want you to know, and I, I wanted you to see the timing of God in the story. There's nothing about this story that God doesn't know. There's nothing in the story that God hasn't, hasn't timed out. There's nothing in the story by accident. Because there's nothing by accident. And so I, I, I want you to understand that in your own life, that as God works and he, and he moves in us and through us, that there will be these desperation times where I really need to get to Jesus for some reason, maybe for someone else, for myself. Whatever it is going on in my life, it doesn't matter who you are, what your context is, what your background is. It doesn't matter. God's using that to call you to himself. There's the next, uh, the, the quote that I have, and I've used this quite a few times, and I hate this quote because of the truth of it. Millions of people are happy without Jesus. They're happy without Jesus as long as everything's going fine. As long as everything's going, going good, people are happy without Jesus. Millions of people are happy without Jesus until they're not. And as God orchestrates, moves, and works different things in our life, all of a sudden, things aren't so happy. All of a sudden, now a child is sick, or the mother is sick, or I am sick, or all, I had a good job, and now, you know, whatever it is, I, I, you, that list could go on and on and on, whatever it is. The thing that's going on that all of a sudden... Things have changed, and now I need Jesus. Last week, everything was going fine, but this is a, this is a different week. Last Sunday, everything was one way, but this Sunday's different. And so God orchestrates the issues sometimes and the situations to give us this desperation for himself. I don't care who you are. Desperation changes you. I know I, it doesn't matter. You think it shouldn't. I don't care who, who you are. Desperation changes the way we view Jesus. It changes the way we talk to him. It changes the way we seek him. I wish it wasn't that way. I wish that I could say that no matter what's going on in my life, I pray the same way. I wish I could say that, but it's just simply not true. I, I wish it doesn't matter how I feel, I pray the same way. But it's not true. That all of a sudden things are going wrong, things aren't what they, they used to be, and it changes my prayer life. Desperation changes my prayer life. I, get te I was going to say I get texts every week. It's, it's, that's not true. I get texts every day. And I want to get texts every day. People te texting me, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for her. I need you to pray for him. In every case, it's need. And all of a sudden, their prayer life is changing. And I, and, and I don't want to say this in a way to scare you off from texting me. But see, they weren't texting me last week. Didn't need to, but they're texting me now and each other. And, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, we, we weren't asking for prayer last week, but we're asking for prayer now. You should. You're desperate. That's what you should do. That's what changes. Like to think that it wouldn't. Like to think that it shouldn't. It just does. It just does. I guarantee you. When things turn south for me, when the unexpected comes along, it absolutely changes, changes the, the, the way I pray. I pray every day, but when I'm desperate, it's, it's different. Desperation of uh, my desperation, your desperation. Now, desperation of others. Already touched on it a little bit. But uh, so desperation changes your prayer life, but now the desperation of others, desperation that you see in others, how you respond to that. 
where others are texting you. Others are asking you. Others are talking to you. The desperation of others. Man, I, I need you to pray. I need you, you know, I need, I, I need help with this. Desperation of others. Let me turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25. Very familiar to a lot of you. It will sound that way. Matthew 25. It's a long section. We're going to cut it in half. Matthew 25, 34 through 40. The story uh, 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 scenario that Jesus tells of sheep and goats and the distinction why he, se- will, he will separate us from sheep and goats. That's not really the point I want you to see. I'm only going to take half of it. I'm going to take the sheep because each scenario is exactly the same. The, the wording Jesus uses for scenario of the sheep, scenario of the goats, exactly the same. So here we go. Let's read this, Matthew 25, 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here's the reason that one is either a sheep or a goat. Here it goes. For I was, Jesus speaking, he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, didn't have anywhere to live, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, each of those people that Jesus talks about, same for the goats, but anyway, each of those people that Jesus is talking about gives a scenario, description, is desperate. Each person that we encounter in that scenario is desperate. There's something wrong. Each case is different. Then the righteous, in verse 37, then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. It's addressing the people around us. Now, you may not be going through the desperation yourself, but it's the people around you. I want you to see in that scenario, that story that Jesus told, not one of the people asked for help. You see that? Not a single scenario. Somebody needs food, somebody needs clothes, somebody needs a place safe, somebody's in prison, somebody's sick. Not one of those people asked for help. How do, so how do we know? What did what Jesus say? You see it. You see it. That's how you know. They didn't ask you for help. You know they need help. A friend of mine, when he mows his yard, he said, I know I need to pick up all the styrofoam cups and the paper and all that. He said, I, and I know, but I don't want to get off, the, off my lawnmower to pick it all up. So I just, when I come up to a paper cup or whatever, I just turn my head and pretend I don't see it. Some of you feel guilty right now, don't you? I just turn my head and pretend I don't see it. Do you see the point of this story, one of them? They're not asking you for help, but you know they need help. And you can turn your head all you want to and pretend you didn't see it, but you saw it. The people who are desperate around you, this issue right here, right now, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us about. There are people around you in your life who need help. And you know it. Well, if they needed help, they'd ask. Yeah, 
But that's not what that story says. And that's not what Jesus said that you wait for. You hear that? Jesus never said, wait for them to ask. Now maybe other people in your life are telling you to do that. But Jesus isn't telling you to do that. Right here. Jesus isn't telling you to do that. You see it. That's all you need to see. That's all you need to know. The parable is about seeing it all around us and pretending like we don't see it. Next, uh, last screen. How do you get close to Jesus? Well, you know, usually if you'd ask me, I would say, well, pray, read God's word, worship him, you'll get close to Jesus. All those three things are true. In that story, how's it, what's the, the word tell us? How do we get close to Jesus? As you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. As you see that person who needs food, as you give that person food, you're giving it to Jesus. As you see that person who's sick, as you visit them, they're not asking you, but you go visit them anyway, you're, get, you're visiting Jesus. You're getting close to him by the people around you who are desperate for him and you see it and you act and you respond. So I was thinking about this yesterday. I went to, uh, went to the McCormick reunion yesterday and I'm the youngest graduate of McCormick. Where's Peggy? Peggy, how, how old would the youngest graduate of McCormick be? How old would the youngest graduate of McCormick be? I, I'm close. I'm close. So I was at the McCormick re reunion yesterday. Actually, I'm not the youngest graduate, but they do have a lot of good pie there. So uh, that was a spiritual event. While I was there, I was thinking about this, and somebody came up to me and said, there's a couple in our in our community, don't, don't go to church, they need help. Okay, they're not in our church, but they came up and said, there's a couple in our, in our, in our community, I'm not going to tell you how or what, they need help. And that's all they said. They weren't asking me for help. They just said, there's a couple in our, in our community that needs help. Now I'm stuck. Why? They're not asking me for help, but I know they need help. I have to do something. Okay? I, I can't drop that. Why? I see it. You see? I see it. I know they need help now. I can't just pretend I don't know. I can't turn my head as I mow the yard and pretend I don't see it. Somebody needs to help them. And they, a lot of times they don't even know how to ask for help. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. I think, I think you get it. That couple's on my mind. And I can't let it go. Now, that's me. They said that to me. Okay, that's, me. that's on me. What's on you? Who is it that the Holy Spirit may be implanting on your mind right now there's somebody that you know needs help and it this the scenarios are just they're limitless and this isn't all the options they're just whatever it might be in fact the couple that's on my mind the scenario doesn't fit this list at all but they need help so what is it and who is it that the Holy Spirit may be implanting on, on your mind? It's somebody at school, at your work, or in your own home, or in our, or in our church, or, or wherever you may be. And what You've heard it, you've seen it, you know it. This person needs help. How do you get close to Jesus? By getting close to them. Now I do, I think you ought to pray. I think you ought to be in the word. I think you ought to worship him. But there, Jesus is all around you in the people that are desperate. Jesus is all around you 
in the people who are desperate. And it could be the Holy Spirit's not placing that person, that situation on anybody else's mind but yours. Who, who would it be? They're, they're, they haven't asked for help. Doesn't matter. Help them. Reach them. Help them. Reach them. That's Jesus in the flesh. I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's what we're going to do. We do this, well, we have prayer time anyway. But we're getting ready to take com communion. And so we do spend a little more time and think about it a little bit more where we prepare ourselves and get our own heart right and, and pray. And so while the musicians come, uh, we're going to take this time and, and have altar prayer time. Uh, it's a chance to just be sure that everything's right between Jesus and us. This morning also the added thought, if you're here this morning and you are desperate, you have a desperate need of some type, somehow, some way, something, I just need to talk to Jesus about this. Then I want you to come. You can kneel at an altar. You can have a seat on the front. But I, I'm, desp I'm desperate. I am. Then you need to come. Then the next option, there's somebody that the Lord has placed on your mind. The Holy Spirit has used this opportunity to place somebody in your mind. There's somebody in your life who needs help. And I don't know, they're too proud, they're too whatever to ask for it. But you know it. You know it. They need help. And the Holy Spirit's placed them on your mind, on your heart. Now he's, placed, he's given it to you. This is, you are now the hands and the feet of Jesus as you reach out to help them. If you need to come and pray for yourself, I, I am desperate, I need help. If you need to come and pray for someone else who is desperate for help and you just can't get them off your mind, we invite you to come and pray.
This is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Your very word spoken to me. And I Desperate for you, and I'm lost without you. And I'm 